0: Unlearning Labels is about walking the walk of I see you, I hear you and I value you. Our mission is to offer solutions and to provide a safe space for conversations that impact organizations. In this way, companies can better understand their challenges, gain clarity and raise awareness, both at an organizational and individual level. Contact us to start taking actionable steps on the topics of diversity, equity and inclusion and for one-to-one executive coaching. Enjoy this episode.
1: Welcome to the Unlearning Labels podcast. Today, we are really pleased to have another, um, I guess, duo who have a podcast and Neely and Joe have started their podcast. um, I want to say it was earlier this year, right? Correct. So I'll tell you a little bit about each one of them and then we'll just jump into the conversation. Neely uh, Verlinen is the co-founder, editor-in-chief at the Academy to Innovate HR podcast co-host to the ins and outs of work for Talentsoft and an HR journalist and content manager for Talentsoft. And Joe Sweeney is a senior content marketing manager for Talentsoft and co-host to the ins and outs of work. And today we want to dive into why does HR have a bad reputation in some companies especially from the experience of middle managers. So welcome to the show.
0: Welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having us.
1: Our pleasure. Our pleasure.
0: Like it's, it's so uh, strange because we have so many people (laughs) in in this episode. So just to make sure that everybody said hi.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So who wants to go first? What, What, where does this bad reputation come from?
3: Yeah, I can I can take a first go at it, Cordelia. And thanks again so much for having us on uh, the podcast. Um, when yeah, when you first asked that question, Cordelia, I I had this flashback to The Office, like the the TV show The Office. I don't know <laughs> if you if you've yeah. all watched that, but really like that dynamic with HR between you know Michael, the main character, and Toby as the HR person. And I think it kind of it's like it's an overexaggeration of of. Of the way hr is viewed in a lot of companies but um i think it's not too untrue if you haven't watched the office basically um michael who's like the, the managing director or something uh he just really dislikes toby because hr is always putting up roadblocks in the way of him doing fun stuff and trying new things and and all that sort of thing so so that's the first thing i thought of cordelia and i think it comes back to that is like the question is why does hr have a bad reputation which I kind of sense is true. And as, as in a lot of cases, um, I'm, I'm not an HR person at all. Um, I, I uh, yeah, on our podcast, the ins and outs of work, we kind of had this dynamic where Neely is the HR expert and I'm the HR outsider. so I, uh, I kind of bring an outside perspective. So um, on, yeah, on that question, I think a lot of it maybe comes back to like maybe a lack of business now. So acumen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually a big insight we got from, from first season of our podcast as well was the sense that maybe there's a little bit of disconnect sometimes between what HR is driving and what the business actually is, is trying to do. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of it can come back to that. Um, we, spoke with this, we spoke with someone called Eric Van Vulpen from AIHR on one of the episodes of our podcast. And he really put that forward as a really big, Um, step for HR to become more strategic and evolve into the future is actually growing that, those business acumen skills. Mm. Um, I thought that was, I thought that was really good input. So that's kind of the first uh, first thought that I had.
1: So what you're saying is there's a disconnect between the function of HR and the HR staff's understanding of the way the business um, should flow
3: yeah i think so and and then what flows from that disconnect is that sense of you know it's kind of really often really policy driven um actions that that don't necessarily align to the flexibility that the business might need um that's been my experience at least is that that sense of you know perhaps into the future hr needs to somehow i don't have the answers Maybe, maybe someone else on the call, done. but have, have a way of being more flexible and less kind of policy and procedure driven. I think that's also something that, uh, in my experience, in the business can create a bit of a bad reputation for HR.
1: So, Neely, as an insider, right, as an HR expert, what do you think?
2: <laughs> I think that, Joe does raise a really good point in a sense that i i also believe that there is a disconnect Um, at the same time i think historically speaking without necessarily wanting that i think a lot of hr departments they have been been tasked with a lot of policies and administrative activities that they did not necessarily (laughs) were very excited about, but it was more like, okay, that's just for HR to deal with. So I think they are in a way still dealing with that legacy um, and and with, yeah, the way things have been done for so long. So I think that, yes, on the one hand, there is definitely a lack in terms of business acumen, but on the other hand, there's, there's what's been happening for years and years. And I think it's quite hard to change that. And, I think and I don't want to make this an episode of uh, about the pandemic at all but I also think that there probably is a bit of a lag now because obviously the events of last year they have accelerated so many things and if we look for instance at how many companies had to uh, almost overnight have their people work remotely um that's all good and well but the reality is that there is also a um a legal side to to all of that and uh, companies do have to come up with new policies to be able to enable their people to work remotely, et cetera, et cetera. And that, again, is something that probably HR will mostly be tasked with. So in that sense, they are having to catch up with reality, but they are also bound by all these rules and regulations that they need to follow because it can otherwise it can have serious implications on an insurance and um, com- compliance side for organizations. Hmm. So that would be my two cents, I think. Mm-hmm.
3: What a, Yeah, and, and I totally agree, Neely, what I'd say from the kind of management or other side of it is, is you know, maybe HR has a bad reputation because the other side, like the manager side or the business side, doesn't necessarily understand what HR can bring at the same time. You know, it's not just that, it's not just, it's not that HR is doing a bad job. It's like you were saying as well, Neely, it's like um, maybe we're putting things in the HR remit and and, and having it have to be done in a certain way uh, from the manager's side, that doesn't make sense as well. Mm.
0: It looks like we're dealing with lots of labels that were still taken in from the past. And, uh, and instead of dealing with humans and their knowledge and their experiences in their roles, we, we kind of assume what they should be doing or what they're doing and then... Uh, and then, you know, this is what we get. I remember when I was managing uh, an organization, my, my biggest problem with the HR that was outside my little organization, there was a group HR that was dealing with, with everybody's hiring and firing and visas and, you know, and all of that. And even getting people from outside the country in was the, uh, the fact that they, they had so much to do that they just didn't have time to think about doing it any other way or or any way differently. It was, you know, just stick with what I can do and and just go forward. So it just takes lots of humanity and creativity and options out of it. Mm, Totally. I think that that like, you know, I'm a marketer and I think
3: I I can resonate with that even in, in in my job, and I'm sure a lot of people listening, even whatever job you do, it's kind of a similar thing as well. But I think that, that's actually a really good point, Mira, in terms of like freeing yourself up enough time and enough headspace to actually rethink what you do. And, and that comes back to business acumen. Like if you take the time to understand what the, business, what the business is actually trying to achieve and then how you can support that, I think that's a huge question for HR to be able to answer.
1: Mm.
4: Yeah, I'm just reflecting on the conversation. So great so far. So it's wonderful. Nearly what you said there. I think you've hit the nail on the head because there's policy, right? And it's always going to be there. And there's a lot of legalities. And quite often, and I'll put my hand up in my early days as a manager, no one really explained that to me. I didn't really understand labor law in the countries I lived in until they actually went through labor law training, for example, in Germany and the like. And I was like, OK, now I can actually show a bit more compassion for my HR colleagues because they're in a rock and a hard place sometimes. So, again, I'm not making excuses for some of the disconnect between HR as a department and the rest of the organization. But I can kind of see where it's actually there's been a gap and it widened for a bit, definitely pre-COVID. I mean, my experience working for the last company I worked for was exactly that, that there was a lack of transparency, or so it looked like, but people just, you know, the the HR colleagues of mine didn't have the time or, you know, it, it looked like from the leadership team, it was a nice to have, to have maybe a town hall about how HR is changing or the impact on new policies that are coming into force in Germany. And then in turn, obviously, in parallel, the DEI stuff and the leadership development, it all has to be done in the same way, right? But what happens innocently in most organizations? They're like, oh, well, we'll just fix this. And it's like a leaky pipe. We'll just put my hand over this and we'll stop this leak. And yeah, we can worry about the leadership development maybe next year. And then suddenly the wheels come off.
0: Yeah. Or you need to become an octopus. to. You know, like,
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: and I think yeah, it will and-
4: take a while. Sorry, go on. Yeah.
2: Now, uh, did you want to say something, Cordelia?
1: I'm, I'm just wondering. Like is there a way right that HR, even though they're bogged down in the legalities and having to shift very quickly to still um, slow it down enough to uh, to really look at the vision like the long-term vision of the business and you know addressing the culture, right seeing the the humanity in the situation um, and kind of save the day
2: (laughs) that I think that is a great question and before trying to answer that one I was actually while I was listening to all of you I was I was thinking that I get this feeling sometimes that any kind of big topic when it comes to uh, the world of work right now so whether it is about um, how can we keep our employees engaged Mm -hmm. or you know how can we make sure that we have an awesome candidate experience and attract the best talents or um, what are we going to do about remote work or any kinds of these these actually really really big topics or how is the role of the manager changing i sometimes get the idea that we try to put all of these questions in the shoes of hr like okay but that's a topic for hr to deal with whereas they already had so many more Mm. let's say, uh, tedious tasks uh, most of the time to deal with. And now all these really big questions that are super complicated to find an answer to, we are actually pointing towards HR. Employee engagement? That's HR. Let them do some surveys and, you know, mm. surveys might not be the best solution. But also, okay, candidate experience? Yeah, let's go to to HR. How are we going to keep our employees happy in terms of learning and development? Okay, that's something we also sh- we, and. That is a lot of stuff to deal with for an mm. HR department. We are asking a lot of these people. Um, but th- that's just the feeling that I was getting and I was thinking about that while I was, while I was listening to all of you. Um, now coming back to, can HR in a way maybe slow this down and, and, and take a step back to look at the bigger picture?
3: Mm.
2: I think what would need to happen for that is that really the the senior level leadership in the organization is is and this is something peter actually mentioned as an important thing uh, when he was a guest on our uh, podcast is like they need to be open to wanting to listen to hr and hear what they have to say and they need to be open to a dialogue and i think that would be the first step and it should not just be an hr isolated thing they should really try to get it sea level uh uh, at the table for that as well to together have a discussion and try to to agree on that that bigger picture and how they can um find solutions for the most urgent issues of the business and obviously for the people in the business that would be my first attempt towards Mm -hmm. yeah trying to slow things down so to speak Mm
3: -hmm. yeah i think it comes from the like what you're saying there Neil, is that it comes from both sides and and from that manager or leader you know business leader side they need to also provide the right uh the right situation or circumstances for HR to step up into that because like like we've been saying HR can find themselves in a rock between a rock and a hard place if they are just you know all this stuff is thrown over the fence to them and then it's like go for it (laughs) it Mm. needs to be a give and take and and uh and, and one really cool thing we talked about on, on our podcast uh, with someone from a company called Privy in the US uh, was was the sense that HR can actually use managers, even if you have a very small HR team, get a sense of like onboarding managers into your HR team, thinking mm-hmm. about your managers as an extension of your HR team. I thought that was a really, really cool perspective. Mm.
0: It's interesting, and, and I actually was thinking about it before you said it. Uh, it seems like HR has always been like a a supporting part for the business, like the mechanic just just fixing stuff and nobody cares about them. So so they get bad reputations from the employees because they can't support them the way they would need to be supported. But also they get a bad reputation from... um, uh, from a higher management. I mean, I remember sitting in the meeting rooms where general managers were just like, where is that HR person? Uh, we just need 10 more people. Nobody cares. Can we do it? Can we not do it? What is the le- legal implication of it? And and it's just, you know, and, and the HR manager is just running around. And when they say something, nobody's listening. And so it's it's really easy to to shift the blame, isn't it? Because we don't really understand what's going on on the other side. And I'm sure that we all want to do a good job, whatever mm-hmm. we do. Mm-hmm. It's, um, sure. it's where the, we, you know, and and then you just get into the flow of what's going on and you, you're like, okay, well, I can't do anything. I give up, <laughs> and then you totally. just go with the flow. And that's the problem, I think. That's the problem is that we, I mean, I remember, um, this isn't related to a HR, but it, it's related to being compliant. I remember when uh, I finished medical university and then I started working and I had this all great ideas of what am I going to do and how I'm going to help people and la 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 la. And then I started working and they were like, just go there, plug this in, plug this out, go in. Like <laughs> yeah. it was like none of it that I wanted to do. I actually couldn't. Yeah. You know, and then you just, well, I, I didn't, I guess. I, I went to do something else afterwards, but, um, but you know, lots of people just continue and do that their whole life. Sure.
3: It was interesting, yeah, interesting what you're saying there, Mira, because I feel like that's, HR can be one of those, I don't know, one of those kinds of uh, departments or, or kinds of work where it's sort of viewed as, it can be viewed as kind of simple work, you know, and ma- mm-hmm. marketing is, is, and can sort of fit in that as well where ma- marketers can be viewed as you know make these powerpoint slides pretty or do a bit of coloring in over here or whatever <laughs> and i think i think it's similar like that with hr is like sometimes there's a lack of understanding as to what these topics actually entail and like what it actually means to say like, you're talking about employee engagement it's like that's a huge topic that, that doesn't just happen overnight but but in a sense it's about people so it's like people who do finance or who do numbers they're like oh, it's easy it's just you know, just make people feel engaged, and it's like actually mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot
4: more to it than that. And uh, yeah, it's like making people feel engaged, right? That sounds like a tough gig. Right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And all the circle back, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. so so far in the conversation, I'm hearing like that. You know, it it seems like quite a tough gig to be a HR person right now. And and you know that could be in any role, arguably, right? But I'm just reflecting on when I was a leader in. Multinationals, some of the larger companies. What I noticed, and I don't know if you two have no- noticed this, I wanted to ask you. I've seen high turnover of HR business partners and directors. And that to me was always the alarm bells going off where there was obviously a problem with the culture. There was something that wasn't right because there's always going to be turnover, right? And, you know, high talent, sometimes they're just really comfortable, you know, I'm going to cut my teeth here and I'm going to go and grow. That's fine, right? But what I noticed in the last couple of companies I worked for, and I won't name them, is that uh, I noticed there was a huge turnover literally in a space of a couple of years. And it was difficult for me as a leader to build any relationship with HR because it seemed like every six months there was a new HR team, almost. And there was a few entry-level people. And I really felt for them, I had a good relationship, but they were the ones really, made, you know, they weren't really decision makers, so to speak. And it seemed to be every six, seven, eight months, I would build relationships with a new business partner or director, and then we'd start the whole cycle again. and And then obviously, if you've just come in, you can't, to your point before nearly and you know this can't be resolved overnight uh, at least that's what what i can see that there are shifts happening and covid maybe accelerated that but i think we have to be really patient that you know to your point before nearly that the, these uh, policies have been in place for decades right and we're now looking at a different way of working and those different ways of working are going to have to be aligned with other things, not just HR. You know, it shouldn't be that the leadership team or all the employees are just looking at HR. Right. What are you going to do to change this? You know, it needs to be a collective effort. Even even I see every employee is part of that as well. Yeah. I, yeah,
2: I, this is exactly what I wanted to say. Um and I thought what Mira was saying, I found it, I was actually visualizing it. It really feels like, you know, we're just throwing all these really heavy things over the fence uh, into HR's lap. Uh, and another one we didn't talk about, of course, is, is DEI. And so mm. I, I wanted to say, just like you just did, Peter, we throw them to HR, then we expect them to sort it out or be um, on the forefront of, of pushing all these kinds of developments. But it's impossible for an HR department or any other department to do that. They need every single person in the organization to do it with them as well. Otherwise, it's not possible. It's not going to happen. HR can come can, can up with the most perfect strategy on paper to to make an effort when it comes to employee engagement. But if not everybody in the organization knows about the strategy, it, it stands behind the strategy and tries on their own personal level mm-hmm. on a daily basis to make an effort it will never work and i don't know if that is the reason behind for instance the turnover that you saw in the companies you were working for peter maybe part of it is it maybe part of it isn't but it's it really needs to be a collective effort mm-hmm. um and and an effort that everybody believes in especially when you talk about these kinds of topics that are so big as employee engagement diversity equity inclusion uh candidate experience and so on
1: So yeah. Mm. So perhaps changing the organizational structure, right? Because Mm -hmm. right now, from what we've been saying so far, like HR is the scapegoat out here and, you know, like the desert. And instead, if HR was like, perhaps the center focus, right? Like the cultural center point, right? Central point. And then everyone, instead of throwing things at you, comes to you for A perspective shift for their Mm -hmm. department right and the leadership for their you know how to set the tone of the culture you know Mm -hmm. instead of blaming HR come to HR and say look we're in a pandemic and everybody has to be remote what does this mean how you know how Mm -hmm. can we shift everything quickly how easily you know like what would we have to do to promote that globally Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a
3: a good question cordia i i uh i could have a early stab at it but i i'm gonna need Neely's help for the (laughs) second part (laughs) thanks um but um i think uh you're so right like what we've been really feeling through this first season of our podcast and speaking to different hr experts is that the the themes come through that like hr actually has an opportunity now you know post covid post the pandemic and we you know I think we 're all sick of talking about the the pandemic, but uh actually it's provided a bit of an opportunity for mm. h r to like you' were saying become a lot more central in the in the organization become strategic again, um, go beyond just being operational and you know those simple things and actually there's so many big challenges that came our way during the pandemic that we've realized that we need a, you know a strategic h r function and um that's a huge mm-hmm. thing. That theme that has come through. So, I mean, from some of the companies we, we've we've talked to, just to try to answer your question a little bit, I think there's just been the sense from the from the business leaders side that they need to better empower uh, HR, and I think that's that's a big part of it. Um, one big one of the really cool insight we had from one of our guests was this whole piece around change management as well. So, really, like as an HR person not just communicating once about something and expecting it to sort of happen or everyone to get it or culture to be created in that way, but really to almost be trained as change managers, change change managers and and figure out how to over time continuously communicate on the why behind things and and stuff Mm -hmm. like that is so important as an HR person, I think, especially post-COVID as you're wanting to become more strategic and wanting to be a driver in, in the business. Do you have anything to add, Neely, or correct on what I just <laughs> said?
2: <laughs> I, I think that was a really uh, really great start of an answer, actually, Joe. The only thing I might add to that is that that's also something that came back in, in, in some of the episodes that we did with, with guests, is that there will also be a part probably where HR will need to um, acquire new, new types of skills As because we just said the function has been changed, has changed so much. So, and one of our guests, he was talking about that in particular. And so, we already mentioned business acumen, but it's also really people advocacy. That is Mm. something that uh, HR needs to be skilled in. And that is coming back to the human side of things that we already mentioned a few times. There's that one, there's data literacy, because that's also something we saw throughout how important it is that HR has at least a minimum of an understanding when it comes to data Um, and there was also a digital integration meaning that they also need to have a certain understanding of tools but anyway long uh, story short i do think that since the role of hr is changing so much and so fast there will definitely also be a part where it will be about trying to equip hr professionals as much as possible for their new world in this world and that may be a last thing to add and i remember we spoke about that with you peter as well when you joined us Um, then of course there is the whole set of soft skills that i think for hr professionals Mm -hmm. will also be so important because like you said cordelia when people will come to hr like hey what can we do about this then the importance of being able to listen really well, being able to be curious, uh, mm. communication, all these kinds of things, they become so much more important. So I think there's a part in that as well.
3: Mm. And so it's almost a sense like, I, I, you know, as an outsider, I have the sense that people get into HR because they love people, right? HR, HR, people, HR people are people people, I think. Mm. And, and I think what you were saying earlier, Mira, was so good because the, the maybe the reality of HR on the ground can become so policy, procedury and less peopley. And perhaps as, as you're saying, nearly like there's this opportunity to, to come back and be like, be those people in the organization who know people and who can, who know how to listen, who know how to uh, care for people, I guess, Um, and and come back to being that kind of uh, department. So what I'm
4: hearing is we need to put the, the, the H back into HR really right. and that's it it's not that the the humans aren't human it's just that they're not allowed to feel whatever they feel right and I yeah I mean I, I'm thank you this has been a great conversation because I'm definitely feeling more warmth love and compassion to my HR people out there you know and I, I've always known it's a tough gig and I if I'm honest I've always given them a hard time in the roles I've been in as well so it's gone back and forth but yeah it, it's just on reflection, it, it really is about allowing everyone to be human regardless of what role you're in, right? Yeah. And and the soft skills, it's a, it, it can be a little bit challenging because to, to anyone listening, you know, leadership teams, they seem a little bit intangible, but trust me, the data's out there now that it, it can be measured. And, you know, the more human-centric leadership development that you do, the better results. And if you allow HR wiggle room to actually be a bit more human, Mm. the process, you know, all the policy, etc. cetera, that can happen in parallel. I just don't think you can have one without the other. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah. It looks like we all um, should become more human, isn't it?
4: Like, not just HR, but, but <laughs> everyone. And it's funny, you know, when you say that, I mean, we are human. We just forget in the world of business. Yeah. And actually, the more people we're speaking to, like yourselves, CEOs of companies that are just being vulnerable and showing up Mm. and just being themselves. And actually, if a CEO and a leadership team is okay in themselves, I see that cascade and it trickles outwards Mm -hmm. towards the employees. And then you can't fake that, right? Because yeah, I'm all for driving engagement programs and trying to get more engagement and surveys have the place, but it's more tangible when I see leadership just talking and just saying, look, we don't have all the answers right now. We're going through a massive amount of change, which, you know, let's be honest, humans are good at change, but in the world of business, we just forget that. Mm. And to your point before, I think change management, it can kind of be a bit shady for employees when they, when you talk about it. They get a bit fidgety, right? But it just means, correct me if I'm wrong, being curious about what do the employees think about some of these things coming up, and then holding the hand through these challenging situations where, you know, just being transparent and saying, look, this isn't something we can discuss and go back and forth, it's going to happen. But I'd much rather grab a demographic of the whole employee population and talk about these changes so you know what's going to happen and you can go back to your people and say, look, it's not as bad as what it sounds like. Because let's be honest, the psychology of it, all humans don't like change, even though we're good at it. You know, if you say we're going to take away that software and you've been using it for the last five years, everyone's going to rebel and there'll be a war. But if you say, look, look what we're going to replace it with and let's transition and show you what it'll look like in six months time. That's a new world. That's a whole better way and a safer way of doing it. You'll still get people who will say, no, I'm not having it. But you'll be able to work through that bottleneck and you'll be aware of where the pushback is rather than, let's be honest, most companies go, "Da da, look what we've done. And everyone's like, whoa, what happened to the other thing? yeah sure
3: yeah totally the way i look at it and uh and what was so interesting learning more about it definitely not an expert is kind of thinking about it like uh you know change management is about managing change so mm. that, that's how i kind of really understand it's like change happens like you're saying peter but you've got to manage the change as well you can't mm. just you know, it's going to happen regardless of whether you manage it or not. But you're going to you're going to give it a much better chance of it actually working if you have a plan for managing it. And um, yeah, this person we spoke to, her name's Rashida Jones. She's like a HR mm. transformation coach. Had some amazing insights um, on our on our podcast about that. It's Just like actually, really rethinking uh, the fact that you know you do you do need to manage change. That people don't just get it. Like. I think in HR as well, and in a lot of jobs, if you get it, you're like, oh, it's simple. People should just get it. But, you know, mm-hmm. no. people don't just get it.
1: So you've got to really break it down. I think Do you know what, Joe? Like, when I hear you say that, it's that way in most human relationships, right? Because, you know, if you just take it down to a friendship, it's like, oh, well, we know. I, I know that we were going to go to the cafe, but I decided, you know, let's go to a concert instead. It's not a big deal. Right. (laughs) And we kind of just expect, wouldn't you want to go to a concert over a cafe? Yeah. Like, but no, everybody, you know, it's just an assumption and it, and it's the same thing. Um, so not, um, not making those assumptions and just taking the time to slow down and communicate, you know, Hey, a couple hours before, look, let's Mm. go to a concert. What do you think about going to a concert instead of the cafe right and having that conversation listening doing the back and forth i also wonder if uh since there's this major shift in human resources if on the educational front you know the curriculum at universities need to change to integrate the business acumen the strategy Mm -hmm. the change management and the um the other soft skills, you know, because our educational system, I think this is something that we've discovered is antiquated, right? We we just found this out, like, as if we didn't know, it's like, you know, these people are coming out of university and have no idea how to actually function in a job. So (laughs) (laughs) that looks like that might be another solution. What what do you think, Neely, do you feel like uh, you didn't come into this profession fully equipped from the educational perspective, perhaps
2: so this is really interesting that you're that you're mentioning it, Cordelia, because I was already thinking earlier in our conversation that I think it, there's a very important role as well for the education system now uh, I myself, even if on on the podcast i'm I am the h r expert, I never actually worked in h r so I, I do feel I need to clarify that <laughs> um but um but I do get to lecture sometimes here in France at, um, at university where they do uh, teach future HR professionals. Uh, so they, they actually follow the HR curriculum. And yes, I think there's still a lot to, to be gained uh, in the educational system. Part of that, again, I don't think is, is the fault of the education system as it is, because I do really feel that over the past, Let's say five to 10 years, the role of HR has definitely changed so much. And then again, I can, I can understand there's a lag between what people are being trained for and the reality. That is always the case, let's be honest. I mean, I studied law, and when I finished my law degree and went to start, no, I actually never started working actually in the field. But if I would have, then I, there were still so many things that I wouldn't have known and I wouldn't have been trained for. Um, I do think, however, that at least what I see here then at the universities in France, where we do sometimes give guest lectures, it is changing, the fact that they are inviting people from the field um, to, to teach their students about HR technology, and what are the HR, most important HR trends. I think that is a really good step in the right direction. But at the same time, yes, I do also think that there's a lot to be gained still in the educational area. Absolutely.
4: I'm curious as well. I mean, you, you both touched on a few insights that you've picked up from the podcast, but what do you think have been the most tangible things that you're like, wow, okay, now that we've heard that, and maybe some of them are a reminder or something, it was new you never really thought about. What are the ones that really stand out for you both? I'm just really curious. Well, the episode
3: we interviewed this guy called Peter Griffiths, he was really good. <laughs> Everything he said was amazing. I doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> No, that was a really, really good one. I'm just thinking through, yeah, so many. I mean, so many amazing gems and, and things that me as a manager, like I've been able to kind of bring through and and uh, and try to do better. Uh, yeah, one one would be uh, a really interesting view on on data and kind of uh, the way HR uses data. And and we actually got to interview an analyst uh, from a company called Valwise, like an analyst company, and yeah. she. Talking us through um, the her her real big opinion around uh, employee surveys, and she basically we had this amazing little um, audio snapshot where she was just like, "Employee surveys stink," and like it was so awesome to get that perspective from her because it was just like, uh, you know, in reality a lot of times employee surveys are used just to back up some bias or some belief that. The business has or hr has and 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 such a cool <laughs> conversation with her to get the sense of like why do we just uh you know why why do we spend the time surveying employees when we're just trying to back up what we believe like are we actually trying to understand our employees better or are we are we just stuck in our ways so,
2: so that was super
3: interesting do you have any others Neela?
2: for me the we did a, we did a few episodes that were centered around company culture. And I know that company culture can feel like, like a theme that has been talked about so much, but we actually looked at it from various angles. So one episode we did was really around company culture in a company that was fully distributed. And so they were kind of like, the, let's call it the new most important pillars of, of culture in 2021 when you're fully remote. And a few of those things there I thought were really interesting. For instance, the one where they, were, they made the conscious shift to not look at people's input, uh, since they were fully distributed, but really base it on their output. And uh, I think that is, that is such a, yeah. I, I personally think that is a great way of, of looking at things, especially, of course, if you're fully distributed with people in different time zones uh, and all these kinds of practical uh, constraints. And then there was an episode we did on culture that was more about what happens with a culture when two companies merge or when one company acquires another company. That, I thought, was was it was it an eye-opening episode in the sense that we talked with Saskia Bille and she was from Sender, a, a company that's German um, originally. And so how they approach um, culture and how considerate they were about the culture and the company that uh, is being acquired, yeah, that really stood out to me. So. They, she, she explained it as a bit of a, when you are being acquired as a company, then for people, it often feels as if they're grieving. They are actually having to say goodbye to their old culture, to the company, to the things that they achieved, even though, of course, they still achieved it. But they're actually, and they were really considerate about it. And they gave really people a platform to, to share with the company that bought them how they did things and why and what the culture was like and the values. So I think those were, for me, uh, yeah. This was some great episodes I think about about seeing culture in a way that you don't necessarily think of immediately.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it, it looks uh, like it, it's interesting what, what, what I'm getting through through this conversation is that you know as, as we're acquiring more technology as, as we are looking into efficiency uh, in the past 10 years more than ever, uh, we tend to hide behind procedures surveys numbers uh and 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 we don't really get to be with people there is no there's no time there is you know we need to do this quickly (laughs) let's just do Mm -hmm. it and so um and so it's interesting that uh and and maybe maybe because we are uncomfortable around others you know i've I've studied psychology as well and for me it was really interesting of how people are uncomfortable with other people. So I think one of the things that we all kind of need to learn is to be more comfortable with that discomfort, being more vulnerable and and allowing ourselves to get in conversations to be proven wrong to to Get our biases taken apart by somebody else. Like it's, mm. it sounds simple, isn't it? But it's not very comfortable.
3: Totally, it's not very comfortable at all. But right? I think you're so right, there in terms of um, just uh, just having a maybe. Maybe it comes back to that culture piece as well. Like having a culture that is open to having tough conversations and being uncomfortable. Um, but it, I think, as we've been saying, it's so. Um, it's so easy just to get in the flow and then just to kind of forget about all this stuff. Mm. I think you need these moments where you remind yourself actually, like, what am I trying to achieve? Like, you know, is, are we actually getting towards where we want to be as a business or as an HR department? Um, Mm. And yeah, and just re-looking at that every, every once in a while.
4: You know what, that's a really good point because what's been missing, I mean, this is with us and our business as well. So it's a good reminder when you go going a million miles an hour sometimes you don't really celebrate any milestones you don't actually and we were working with a client recently and they've achieved so much they were really trailblazing in what they were doing but they actually couldn't mm-hmm. see the wood for the trees and they started second guessing that they weren't doing a good job mm-hmm. simply because they just didn't stop to and it's not about measurement right because that can be a double-edged sword as well but I'm guessing that HR can play an active role in just celebrating the company's milestones and making sure they check in with department heads, with other leaders from functions, et cetera, and just say, look at what you've done. You know, this is pretty amazing. And I know it can sound a bit cheerlead issue, but honestly, if it's done properly at the right time, I can see that being really powerful, right? And I think that if a company does that more often, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm guessing employees would feel a more active part of the culture because they'd be like, wow, look what we've done. Rather than the cheesy stuff, you know, where you, you get these awards going out and all of that, and that can be a bit toxic as well. But yeah, I think that's a good reminder. Thank you. Yeah,
1: yeah I
3: think it is, it, I think it is a big balance of like how you do this in a non-cheesy way as well, like you <laughs> yeah. said, because if, you, if yeah. you're just handing out awards to the Pride and Centre and then, I don't
1: know,
3: doing mm. these cheesy messages on whatever whatever sort of messaging platform you use, I think it quickly becomes like, oh, okay.
4: just trying to pump. You normalise it, right? Mm. It yeah. kind of normalises it and then people go, oh, another award. Yeah, again. whatever. <laughs> and, and, and again, because it's so often, people are just like, yeah, I don't care who wins. And yeah. we all do it. I've been guilty of it. I want to circle back to what you said, Neely, about... That insight about input versus output, because again, I think HR could play such an important role in making sure that people are rewarded for not the actual clocking clocking out. Because what I noticed is, I know it's innocent. Companies don't want to let go of the reins of control,
1: mm-hmm. but the
4: companies that I've seen are really pushing the envelope, and it's nothing new. There are companies that have been doing it pre-COVID for people listening, but they're more concerned about the results, but they're not bashing people for results either just for people listening. They're, they're actually interested in, okay, you've got a role to do. If you do that in that time, go and do some training, go and read a book, go and do some research, well done. They're, they're interested in what comes out the other side versus holding someone to sit in the office for the sake of just clocking in the hours. And let's be honest, if you look at the measurements of that and the science is there, it doesn't work. It just leads to burnout. And if, and then if the boss does it, no one wants to leave. I remember being in teams when I was younger, I'm like, I'd love to go home, but there's no way I can go and get my coat right now. I'm feeling the pressure. So imagine the impact of you, your boss saying, you know what? You've done a great job. I'm out of here. You know? Mm. So if you've done what you need to do, I would suggest you do the same. I love you. It's up to you. That's a, that's a different way of looking at it. Right. Mm.
2: That is a totally different way of looking at it. And. For me, that would be the right way of looking at it. I, I completely recognize what you say, Peter. I, I started my career in, in finance and um, I've I've worked in London in finance for a year and it was an absolute disaster for me, but it really was. <laughs> I was afraid to go home. You know, the markets I worked in, in, in the, on the trading floor and the markets they closed that uh, I think in London it's 4.30 because uh, here on the continent it's 5.30, mm. yeah. So 4.30, I guess. So by six o'clock at the latest, I was done but everybody would stay until seven or eight. And I was like, okay, I cannot go home because if I go home now, that you know, that's just considered bad bad form or whatsoever. So I think this, and that's not as it should be. Um, hmm. So, and this is what was really great about the example that was from a company called Drift, where they are really looking at the output. But just yesterday, I spoke with the VP of People and Culture at Whereby. Whereby is a bit of a video conferencing a solution like like Zoom. Uh, And so they are actually time agnostic as well. So they are fully distributed. People are all over the world, different time zones. But so they don't care also whether you work Mm. from 7 a.m. until 11 a.m. and then you take a break and you work again in the evening from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. They really don't care as long as the output is there. But that does go hand in hand for them, though, with really having every take their um, responsibility so people are definitely accountable and i think once you have everybody being accountable for the results then that's Mm -hmm. fine right because they know that it doesn't matter when they work or where they work as long as they get the results there
1: Mm -hmm.
3: And i think what we're seeing a bit now like you know around this time of 2021 is maybe as we hopefully start coming out of covid is some companies wanting to maybe snap back to how it was before and just quickly go back to, you know, just pretend like mm-hmm. that never happened. But other ones, like you are talking about, nearly that are actually much smarter, I think, <laughs> uh, in the way they are approaching it and thinking about, we can't actually go back. So how do we take, how do we make the most of it? And how do we, uh, how do we change for the better?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, in America, they... Um... Well, in Washington, D.C. specifically, they are having a big issue with this wanting to snap back to the way things were. And like, they're actually like, if you won't come back in the office, you you need to find another job, you know, <laughs> it's like very black and white here. So we're not yet in the 21st century in America, you know what would you say, and, and I'm, I'm going to make this kind of a two-part question, I noticed that for your next season for the ins and outs of work, you've shifted to many um, episodes, so you're not going to be having conversations with other people anymore, so do you have an episode that addresses this? <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, that's right, Cordelia, so we've really, um, We've really decided in the second season of, of our of our podcast ins and outs of work to to kind of the whole message is bringing it back to the fundamentals so and that's kind of deeper like the message of our whole podcast is, is the sense that you know so much changed in the last year and a half what are those what are those fundamental things that as HR people maybe you or we thought we knew everything about but now that need we just need to completely go back to square one and rethink it. so uh, so season two is really about that. And, and what we're actually going to be doing is kind of walking through the whole employee life cycle, all the way from employer branding to candidate experience through to like performance reviews and uh, offboarding, boarding even, and, and just kind of putting it back, you know, like bringing the conversation right back to like, how do, we, how, how do we do this stuff in 2021, given everything that happened? Because uh, you know, we can't just snap back and the smartest companies are, are actually thinking about it all differently so we're hoping to kind of lead people through that um and 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 hopefully provide some some keys on on how to do that better did you have anything to add to that Neely?
2: well i you know when you when you were talking about cadelia how companies want to snap back and i definitely think that that is the case in france for instance joe and i we both live in france we're not french but we do live there most of the time anyway Um, and so a lot of companies actually want to snap back as soon as possible I do think that that will backfire on them, because, mm-hmm. and perhaps you've seen it as well. There is now this big um, research that came out recently. Joe and I were talking about it as well. and it's it's um came from Microsoft originally, and it's all about what they call the great resignation. It turns out that about forty percent of the global workforce uh, is actually actively considering leaving the company they currently work for this year uh, mm-hmm. for for a myriad of reasons that can they can vary from they've realized that they want to do something different, but, or the company doesn't provide them the flexibility they would like to have. Because imagine you've been forced to work from home for a year and you've been, um, therefore, not commuting two or three hours a day, every day, and all of a sudden you're being pushed back. You know, that's obviously going to be an issue because you've experienced a completely different life um, in a way. But other people, they just, uh, or they want to recover from COVID and everything that happened. Anyway, there are many reasons. But, so I think wanting to, Snapback is is something that will hurt a lot of companies, uh, mm. e- even if they may not think so. I think it will definitely hurt them. So I mm. do not think that that is the way forward. But I don't think anyone in this conversation thinks it is the way forward. But that is that I, something that I did want to add to mm. to that.
4: I'm okay. glad we talked about that because yeah, I've seen it already happening even even towards the end of last year. Companies were like, yeah, I've had enough of that let's go back to the way we were before. And obviously all of the employees were like, no. <laughs> uh, and rightly so, because let's be honest, without bashing individual employees or organisations, it was always, no, you can't do that. And it was for me when I was working as a leader. I said, so, you know, I'd love to do all the admin overheads at home because I can't concentrate here. Because rightly so, people want to be, you know, want your time, which is normal. And it was always like, yeah, we can't do that because if we let you do it, others will have to do it. And there was you know a myriad of excuses. And then let's be honest, it happened so quickly with COVID that infrastructure aside, it's more than doable. Mm. And I guess for again, I don't I don't have the answers, that's for sure, you know. But a lot of it's just because that's what we used to do. And humans are like, well, I want it the way it was.
0: Mm.
4: But it can't really be sustained. And as you said, Neely. For companies that are going to do that they will either have to be course corrected quickly and put the hand up and say sorry we did that wrong and hopefully not cause damage or most of these companies just won't exist Uh, you've heard the story about kodak right you know if you're that stubborn and you don't listen to not only your people but you know the market that you're in and let's be honest it is a market force as well because if you want to hire talent They are going to want that flexibility because they've already had a taste of it. And why would you not want to do that? So yeah, I'm glad you brought that one up. That's a whole new episode. I yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I had some
0: light bulbs going, on. Why, we, why do we actually do this as humans? Yeah, it's ah. actually not, we don't go back because it's better. It's because our brain is primed to not waste energy. So thinking about doing something different and doing it differently acquires more energy. So it just, you know, we just need to understand that It doesn't feel like it's not really better back there it just
3: it's just biology and at least we know what's what yeah what we're gonna do and yeah 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 Yeah.
0: yeah. interesting cool
4: well this has been an amazing conversation so thank you cordelia do you want to wrap it up or
1: yeah i would actually like um neely and joe to share the golden takeaway we've talked about a lot of things from <laughs> beginning, like <laughs> HR has this horrible reputation, they're the scapegoat and like changing the reorg chart and all these things. So um, what is it that, you know, you would say is the golden takeaway? What, what is your suggestion going into this next phase um, for organizations to shift all that?
3: Yes, well, I could maybe kick us off. Um... And really from a manager and from outside of HR point of view uh, for me it would be you know we brought up that term a couple of times during the conversation of HR business partner and that's often a it's often a role title that we see more and more and I think I think that is, that's a beautiful way to describe an HR person and and my mm-hmm. experience of working with good HR people uh, in my career it's it's when when that role becomes a reality it's so cool because you kind of do feel like you have have this partner in HR who's helping you become a better manager, who's, you know, you have that connection, and it's way more than procedures and way more than policies. And so I'd say, I'd say for me, on the manager side, outside of HR, that's one huge thing that, that I think HR can, can continue to grow in is, is being a partner to the business, being a partner to the managers, seeing yourself as the same team and going mm-hmm. towards the same goals and working together, yeah. That's a
2: good one since you give it from a basically for hr as a takeaway i would like to maybe give something to take away for everyone really so whether you are working in a team in an organization Mm -hmm. as a as an employee or whether you are a a manager or whether you are are like someone in the in the c-suite i think what i would like to um tell people tell people suggest to people um is let's really try to be more mindful of Mm. what hr is having on their plates and um what we are throwing over the fence as we said so let's really try to be more mindful of that and let's try to remember that um the hr function might be one of the functions that has had to deal with the most dramatic changes in their in their role over the past 15 months Um, so let's be mindful of that and let's try to sometimes put our sh- ourselves in their shoes and and remember that we do not necessarily have all the constraints that they may have from a legal or what kind of other a perspective so that's i think what i would like to say
1: thank you I, I really resonate with those um takeaways from both of you and looking forward to your second season mir and peter you want to close us out
4: yeah just thank you. I mean there's so much to reflect on right in this episode. So yeah, I mean I'm sure we'll speak again. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised right because I can think of many ways we could have gone, you know. But yeah, thank you. I'm just grateful of what ground we did cover and I think there's some really good tangible insights in there. So yeah.
0: Mm. It's it's interesting when we started um you know th- the first idea was we're going to try to, you know, um, we're going to bash HR for how bad they are uh, <laughs> uh, and, and you know, what they need to change and what they need to do and how, you know, all of that. But it's really interesting what happens when we get in a conversation about things, isn't it? When we actually understand what's going on on, the, on both sides. And I've seen this in so many different situations, uh, in, in in business meetings, in, you know, become there with the agenda, with our opinion without bias about something. But then when you open up and you start talking about it and you start understanding, actually, when you go behind uh, those labels, uh, then, then you actually see the person, you see the real thing, you see what is really going on. And then you can change things. Then you can, uh, then you can, uh, make some more meaningful actions. Uh, and I think this is what this conversation has been as well. Uh, and, and and I'm I'm sure lots of people who are listening to it, uh, listening and come in with the idea of, you know, I don't like HR. We come out of understanding what it actually is and how they can contribute uh, and uh, not just really be angry and throwing the blame around. So thank you very much. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. As you can see, Unlearning Labels is about talking the walk of I see you, I hear you, and I value you. If you would like us to help you address any of the topics we explore during the show, such as diversity and inclusion, cultural change, leadership development, or one-to-one executive coaching, please contact us via www.unlearninglabels.com or reach out to us via LinkedIn.